This is number six in repent and believe the gospel. So this series, you know, if you're, if you're new or you're watching online, hello to the people that are watching online, you've just jumped in with us. We just really felt like the Lord was impressing upon our hearts to start 2021 focused on the gospel, rooting our hearts in coming out of 2020 with all the stuff that's been thrown at us, all the division in the world, all the division in the body of Christ, you know, believe it or not, there are parties, there are Christians in nearly every political party, as much as some people would like to demonize the other side, and there are certainly non-negotiable issues, but this political season just wreaked havoc on the church, didn't it? I mean, you know, how many of you lost quote-unquote friends on social media because of politics, you know? And it's like, these are believers, so we just really felt like let's bond in our unity in faith, our love for one another, our, our recognition that we have the same Lord and the same Father. But now coming out of that, the world has kind of gone through like this collective trauma. And, and I don't know, it's, the worst is yet to come for some people. We don't really know the economic issues. And because of all that, because we are in the world, we got to deal with that stuff. So let's frame how we're going to proceed forward and the best frame that we have is the gospel, meaning the good news about the kingdom. That's what gospel means, good news. So when Jesus showed up, just a slight bit of review here, Jesus showed up, he started preaching this, Mark 1.15. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Change the way that you think and believe the good news about the kingdom. See, there wasn't really any good news up until this point. There was an expectation and a waiting for the arrival of God's Messiah in the kingdom. The Israelites and the Jews were really the only ones that had that hope of the expectation of God setting up His kingdom here. They thought, it, they thought all different kinds of things. They were waiting for this conquering king to come and overthrow Rome and set themselves up as the rulers over the world. There was kind of this Herodian mindset where this political leader would come in and redeem Israel and all that. And it was looked at very carnally in terms of it was going to be through the world's systems that God would set up his kingdom. Like, so let's take over politics. Let's take over media. Let's take over sports. Let's take over whatever. I don't know that they had sports back then, but you know what I mean. Like, whatever man's systems were in place, God was going to come into those and take those over, and that was how he was going to legislate his kingdom on the earth. And we still hear that today, don't we? I mean, there are some in certain political parties that kind of have this idea that if we would legislate properly, we could have more godliness. That's not going to happen. The way we have more godliness is we get the hearts of believers to yield to the spirit of the living God within them and walk in the fruit of the kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. Living well within that right standing that we've been given because of the finished work of Jesus, right? You're free, you're delivered. He's not holding the law against you any longer, but now yield to that power of grace to walk well of that calling, live well within that freedom that we've been given. And so, you live well within that when you know the gospel, when you know who you are in Him. And we've talked about all these different points. So we started out by talking about mindsets, how we see, how we see things. What kind of views do we have about God? What kind of views do we have about the future? What are our expectations? We talked about this idea, fear God, but don't be afraid of Him. If you're afraid of God, 
It's because you're not convinced that he loves you. You're afraid of what he might do to you. So Jesus, when he quoted Deuteronomy and said, fear the Lord your God, he said, worship the Lord your God. So then we came into kind of this starting new covenant idea and, and realizing that we must base everything we believe about God on Jesus. Every aspect of God must make sense in the light of who Jesus revealed God is. And there's not an aspect of God that is not addressed in Jesus. Even the wrathful side, even the part that has to punish sin. Sin requires penalty. We see that in God too. But we see it on the cross in Jesus. Rather than God enacting punishment into your personal life, because Jesus already took it all. So we talked about all that kind of stuff. And we talked about the establishment. I think next week we'll really kind of land on the idea of, of the tenets of the new covenant. But we focused on this along the way, Hebrews 10, 9. Then he said, behold, this is Jesus. I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Does that mean that we throw away the Old Testament? No. Does that mean we dishonor and call the Old Covenant and the law, bad or evil. No, it's holy. It's God's standard. It just condemns you. It, it doesn't have the capacity to give you righteousness. It has the capacity to point out where you're not, therefore revealing you need this righteousness that's in Christ. So landing on this idea, which is just a central anchor point for the gospel, you are made righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. Does that mean you should continue in sin? No, God forbid, don't do that. It's not a good idea. Then we start talking about this idea, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We talked about this divine surgery that God performs within you, a circumcision taking out the body of flesh, Colossians 2, 11, in him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Spent a lot of time looking at this phrase, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. The word sarks is the operative word here. Sarks in the original language we looked at is, is the word for flesh, body of flesh. Sarks has a couple of different applications. One, your skin. And the other is your human nature that is opposed to God and prone to sin. Your human nature that is opposed to God and prone to sin was removed from you. Big, big deal. Now, that's one of the things that will allow you to stay in this church or not. Not meaning you have to believe it to stay, but if you have trouble with that, you're not going to stay. You're welcome to stay. I don't care what you believe. But I pray that you know that he's done this work within you because it changes everything about how you see yourself and how you think God is now working in your life. You truly are a new creation in him. You truly are righteous in him. You truly have been cleansed and made holy and inhabited by him. And forevermore, you are accepted in Him because you keep that faith in Him as your righteousness. It's basics, but it's, we have to 
you know, we're resetting. This is our lens. This is how we're seeing ourselves. This is how we're seeing God. This is how we're seeing the world around us. And with this brings a certain mindset and a, and a perspective of the world and our future even. You know, we spent, before this series, we talked about the wheat and the tares. Jesus told us in the end, there's going to be wheat and tares. The enemy is busy planting weeds, but the Lord of hosts is busy destroying his enemies. And he will reign, he must reign, until he makes all his enemies his footstool. So in this moment right now, Christ is reigning. And to the degree that you allow the gospel to frame your perspective of who God is, Christ will reign through you and you will reign with him in this earth. And, and I'm, I think where we're going into the next series, I want to talk more about that idea. What does it look like to reign with Christ? At first and foremost, it means in your life, there's righteousness, peace, and joy. Not this Herodian mindset of taking over the planet, but more so you experiencing the kingdom in your life, righteousness, peace, and joy, and then what that looks like from there. So to be continued on that. Um, so... Your old nature was removed from you and replaced with Christ's righteousness. There is more forgiveness than we realize. Uh, uh, sorry. Push pause. Take a deep breath. Reset. There is more to forgiveness than we realize. This is where we're going today. So I want to talk about this idea. And I, so I basically have, I don't know, maybe two-thirds of the New Testament in my notes today. Are you ready? Because it's kind of a lot. Uh, there's a lot of scripture here. But what I saw today was we were going to deposit a lot, of, a lot of seeds for the Holy Spirit and you to spend some time on and with. You know, because of the concepts of where we're going today, you can read in the letters in your Bible in black, white, and red and see what it says. Every believer can read these and see what they say, but like Jesus asked the Pharisees, the Judaizers of his day, what does the word say and how do you read it? So today it is focusing on what does the word say? We're going to look at it. It just says what it says, but how do you read it? In other words, how do you interpret it? How does this affect you? What does this, what does this mean for you and the world around you in terms of what it actually says. See, because I don't think that you can really properly grasp the concepts that we're going to read today unless you know the finished work of Christ, unless your faith is fully in Him as your righteousness, knowing what and who you are in Him, knowing that He was your propitiation for your sin once and for all. There is no more sacrifice for sin. It's Christ and Christ alone. And you are called to live well within that. So we're looking at detailed doctrinal points about what Christ accomplished, which is part of the finished work. You know, we're answering that question in this series. What is the finished work? What did he finish? What did he pay for? So having that mindset, I pray that you kind of keep your heart open to the Holy Spirit and let him commingle with these words in, these, you know, in our case, it's what, psychedelic and yellowish today? Not black and white, but, you know, close enough. I don't know, is it space? What is that? Color. Splatter paint. All right. 
God forgave us so he could accomplish what he really wants. You know, it's not that you get born again and then you got your ticket punched and then it's like, do your best. The world's going to beat you up until you slide into heaven, burnt, fried, and barely making it. The world's going to get so dark that we're not even going to recognize that the church is here and the church is so weak. We're going to be hiding underground and in caves and in tunnels and the world is just going to take over and it's going to be so dark because the enemy is so much more powerful than God is. I mean, what is our expectation, really? Yes, there's weeds. Yes, there's darkness. But yes, there's the kingdom. All right. So, he wanted to forgive us. It's the only way to him is forgiveness in him. But there's more to forgiveness than we realize. It's not just that God shows you mercy because of the sacrifice of Christ. There's more to it. Ready? More. Say more to it. Now, I don't mean more for you to get. I mean more for you to perceive and live in. All right. So we are co-heirs with Jesus. And our inheritance in Christ is part of God's original promise to Abraham. All right, so that kind of sets where we're going. Now I'm going to read a whole bunch of Scripture, and, and, and it is a lot. And we'll put this out you know, in a blog, and prob- I'll probably post the, these up in, um, in our Facebook group, and I don't know, we'll put them uh, probably in there. Um, but then they'll be accessible. You can always go back and watch this. Because so. I know a lot of people don't take notes, and that's fine, but I do, I do encourage you to go back and meditate on these passages this week. So whether that means you go back and you watch the video or you jump into that Facebook group, or if, you just, if you're not on Facebook, well done. I, that's awesome. <laughs> You can email us and we'll email you the slides or I'll email you my notes or something. But, I, I, you know, this is, so again, I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm kind of entering into it. I'm not necessarily going to teach you something from here forward. I'll comment, but I want to put these scriptures in your thinking, in your heart, and watch what the Holy Spirit does. And it's a question that I think Jesus asked us, what does it say and how do you read it? How you read it I submit that it must be filtered through the finished work of Jesus and the fact that you are accepted in Him. All right, ready? 2 Peter 1, 1. Uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as yours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord for His divine power. See, I think we read these kinds of things and we don't personalize them. There's a power that comes from the divine that is active in you, doing things even in this moment to give you strength, giving you grace. So, for his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these, he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. I mean, there's a lot being said here. Partakers of the divine nature. This is a fruit of forgiveness. This is a fruit of him having been that sin offering for you. You are, these promises are in it. We're not necessarily going to talk about the promises 
as if this is what you can believe as much as it is. It's his idea to make you some promises so that you would partake in his divine nature. You have an inheritance in him. All right, so let's keep going here. Uh, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. And then we jump over to Hebrews 8. And I, I love when the Bible says things like this because it's significant. It's like it's telling you how to think. It's like, all right, this is how we frame it. All right, Hebrews 8.1. And, and all these are in the New American Standard uh, for, for this week. Hebrews 8.1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. It couldn't be more clear than that. Like, there's, eight, there's seven chapters before this, but in Hebrews 8, he says, now this is the point. We have such a high priest. Now, backtrack a minute. Hebrew, I love Hebrews, but we misunderstand a lot of it because we don't think like Jews. We don't think like Hebrews. We didn't live as part of a sacrificial system, taking sacrifices down to the priest, living under that type of, living in the type of covenant where we had to uphold our standard through the law or else experience the wrath of God. People still think that we are in that type of arrangement with God, but we are not. Jesus accomplished our side for us. Does that mean you should continue in sin? It just means it is finished. All right? So, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man, this heavenly holy of holies he's talking about. For every high priest is appointed to offer... Now, this is touching on the finished work that Jesus, that one, once and for all offering for sin, that once and for all cleansing to make you holy and then to continue to birth His power through you to compel you to live within that holiness. We're talking about a finished work, something that he did. That's the point that he's getting here to, getting to here. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. And then I'm going to jump down to Hebrews 9:11. It's not that the other bits aren't important, but you know, we got to eat lunch sometime. <laughs> Hebrews 9:11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things, say good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of uh, goats and calves or goats and bulls, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Now, I, I don't, there's just something about this scene that is incredibly moving for me. Like, you know, so the picture is this. Jesus has come up out of the grave. He's defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's come up out of it apparently with his own blood, his life. The life is in the blood. That's why blood had to be spilled because it's, it's a metaphor for life, essentially, or it is life. And remember, Mary's there, and he says, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. He's there in his glorified, resurrected state. In all his glory, the God-man forevermore. And he's on his way to do this. And he runs into Mary. He probably was thinking, I'll go see one of my friends for a minute here. You know, I don't know. But he allowed himself to be seen by her. But he, but he said, no, don't touch me yet. I've not yet ascended to the Father. I've not yet offered the blood. 
then, the, then this happens. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and bulls, uh, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more? Say, how much more? There's more to forgiveness than we realize. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, how much more shall He purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Uh, therefore, He's the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Another key word here where we're going, inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant, for, when a, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. So in other words, let's say you receive some inheritance from your parents. You don't get it until they're dead. That's, what he, that's basically what he's talking about. But what's interesting about this is that this inheritance and this covenant is a will left to you. So in other words, what we receive in Christ is not a covenant of standard that we have to live up to. It is a choice that God made that in Christ, when Christ gained this inheritance, when Christ amassed everything that He amassed, that through His death choose to give it to us as an inheritance... He is the mediator over that, and He had to die in order for you to receive your inheritance. So the new covenant is something that you inherit th from Christ. And it's the same inheritance that He has. Again, I'm not going to try to put details on this and tell you what that means specifically for you, but just the idea that the new covenant is not a standard of law to live up to. It's a gift that God gives you. Like, we've prepared wills for our children. It's pretty detailed. And they ask very specific questions of what do you want? How is it to work? What ages? Who's this? Where does this go? And you look at everything that you have and you make a decision about everything that you have. I see the Lord doing that. I see God having done that. Preparing an inheritance for us detailed, sat down, and wrote out every single thing He wanted us to receive through Christ. And it's good things. Now, we're in the world. There's wheat. There's tares. There's weeds. There's darkness. But you have an inheritance in Him. Don't neglect your inheritance because of the darkness. Don't be the prodigal son that takes your inheritance and runs out and plays around in the darkness into this pig pen, you know, that separates yourself from the Father because of you either take your liberty with this freedom that you've been given and continue in recklessness and sinfulness, or you just don't really realize what you have in Him. That's kind of where I'm wanting it to go today is to help you understand, man, there's more to this thing than just being forgiven in Him. This inheritance, I, I want to, I want, I want to glorify God in such a way because I am living fully in that which He planned to give me.
Like, I want to bring honor to his name, his authority. I want to continue on what Jesus began because of this gift that we've been given in him. And I want to live in this world in such a way that honors my father, not just out of obedience, but out of sonship. You know, think about children that you know that have received something and they go on to do things that, that are like honor, you know, that honor where they came from. I, I, that's, what it, that's, what, that's the relationship that we're in with God. Not this, all right, let's keep going. We've got a lot here. Continuing in Hebrews 9. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not... Now, it is intentional that God gave us this information so that we would understand this inheritance that we have and even the language that this is how he sees it. It's like you're getting, you're getting a, peel, a, a peek behind the curtain. This is how God wants you to see it. Since it is not force as long as the one who made it is alive... Um, Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. Now, Jesus then does that in that heavenly holy of holies, Hebrews 9.20, continuing on, saying this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, the tent, and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with the rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. I don't fully understand all this, but the picture here is, when they built the temple, the sacrificial system, Moses presided as the high priest to cleanse everything with the blood of goats and bulls. But that was only a, a copy of the real thing. Jesus went into the eternal place that is mirrored in the temporary temple on this earth and did this for real with his own blood. He went through all this trouble for some reason for you, so that he would secure your eternal redemption. Don't you dare think, don't you dare let any legalistic, I don't care how educated of a pastor they are, make you question your salvation because your life doesn't have the kind of fruit that they think it should have. Your redemption is secured in the blood of Christ. And what secures it is you looking at Jesus and saying, yes. Now, should that produce fruit? Yes. Will it produce fruit? Yes. But the measurement of that fruit is not what determines whether or not the salvation is there. It's the blood of Christ. Amen? I've just met way too many people that continue to mess up. And, it, and then the well-meaning, highly educated, academic, sola scriptura people come to them and say, well, you know, I'm just not sure. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe, I, I don't even know if I'm saved. Now, if you didn't come from that background, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you did, you're saying, thank you, Jesus, for the security in your blood. You don't ever have to question your salvation. It's secure in the blood of Christ because of the detail through which God went to leave you an inheritance.
or Christ. But it's beyond just eternal security. It's beyond just security of salvation. It's this inheritance that we have now. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear, to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. I love this. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly. So if he brought, so the old covenant, if he'd done it, if it was his own blood, he'd have to suffer over and over. But it's the new, so suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once, say once, for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's the throwback to that idea in Colossians where it says he removed the body of the sins of the flesh from you. All right, now let's jump to Colossians 1.12. Inheritance, uh, will left to you, new covenant, remembering who you are in him, that circumcision that was made. Again, I'm throwing a lot into the pot here. You guys get to go home with the Holy Spirit and see what comes out on the other end of what you're going to eat for the rest of the week. You know what I'm saying? Like we're kind of building a recipe here. I'm not going to put bows on it, but just keep your heart open. Let the Holy, so Holy Spirit's the teacher anyway. Amen. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. How are you qualified? The Father through Christ, not by your works, not minimizing the desire for fruit, but it's in Him that it's secure. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, again, there's that forgiveness of sins thing. There's more to forgiveness than we realize. Forgiveness sets... God forgives you so that He can do what He really wants to do. That is, give you His inheritance. Part of the inheritance was prophesied by Isaiah. So what do you get? What is in this inheritance? Isaiah 53, 4, we went through Isaiah, the end of 52, all of 53 and some of 54 last week. Remember we read all that? Surely he has borne our grief. So the exchange aspect, you know, what is, what is the inheritance? What did he finish? What did he pay for? What do you have the right to expect? Now, this is one of those areas where we start getting into where there are theological differences and just beliefs because people base their beliefs on the condition of the world or the condition of their lives or a time in their life where a loved one suffered and died and they were standing and believing, even the person that passed and the people that loved them and watched them suffer, that starts to affect how we perceive this inheritance that we've been given. That can affect if it's for you all the time or only subjected to when God wants it for you. Are you following me? If Jesus paid for it, it's yours now. What did he pay for? This is part of what he paid for because it's an inheritance. Surely he has borne our griefs. Now, last week we identified that word griefs is actually the word illnesses or diseases. Mm -hmm. He bore our diseases and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. There's an exchange here. How do you read it? What does it say? How do you read it? Here's how I read it. 
He took my diseases and illnesses on the cross. He bore the penalty for my sin so that I could have peace with God. He was chastised in such a way that it was part of the penalty for my sin. And part of the freedom that I experience because of what He did for me is healing. There's more to forgiveness than we realize. What does the Word say? How do you read it? I see that part of forgiveness is healing. And this is where the Christian church loses its mind. Because, well, but, you know, but I think this, when I think this, well, you know, my grandmother this, and, my, and, and this is what the words are. Well, how about this? Why are you telling me that this is, well, why don't, then why don't you just go on down to the hospital and heal everybody then, big boy? That's, that's usually where it goes. There's a challenge, right? <laughs> and I've thought that. I, I have the same questions. Well, why doesn't it work all the time, Lord? You know, Jesus said, believe that you have received and it will be yours. Believe that you have received and it will be yours. Not work it up, get strong enough faith, do enough to receive, none of that stuff. Believe that you have, re have received what? This inheritance in Him. Part of this inheritance is everything He went through for you to receive as a benefit of the inheritance that He left you. I, I got my brother and I, my family and I, we got a little bit from my parents. They had a little bit, and, and that still pays benefits now. Praise God. I, I, and I'm so thankful for that. You know, I mean, we're not flying and on our private jet to Abu Dhabi or nothing like that, but, you know, it's a little bit of nice padding. And it's like, that's a benefit that continues. One of the benefits that continues what Jesus paid for is that God is giving life to your mortal body. What Jesus paid for removed that sin from you, qualifies you to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. What do you think is part of that inheritance? What's in that inheritance for you? What's in that package that you get once that will is probated and you receive the benefits of that inheritance? What's in it? I think healing. Now, if you don't believe that, that's, you know, that's fine. But this is how I see it. Again, 1 Peter 2, 24, And He Himself brought our sins in His body. That, that's interesting phrasing. Brought our sins in His body so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By His wounds you were healed. Now, some people will say, well, this is emotional healing or it's spiritual healing because you were dead in your sin and now you're alive in Christ, so He therefore healed your spirit. You know, there, there's a very popular finished work New Covenant teacher that teaches it from that perspective, and that's part of it, but I think it's physical too. Now, I'm not going to go into the why. That's on our end. God willed it in the inheritance that He gave us in Christ. I know that opens a door there, but I'm not going to try to explain the hinges on that door at the moment. 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, th that though He was rich, uh-oh, yet for your sakes He became poor, 
that you through his poverty might what? Become rich. Y'all were real quiet when you said that. Oh, this is one of them prosperity gospel churches. You better watch out. I, well, now, again, I'm reading scripture. What does it say? How do you read it? Now, I'm not throwing into the camp where you can give and give and give and God, like, force God's hand to respond or, or, or any of that kind of weird stuff. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is this. God decided to give you an inheritance in Jesus. We know that it specifically says, by his stripes we're healed. What else is in it? What else did we inherit? What else did Jesus pay for? What else did Jesus experience in this great exchange on our behalf? Remember, he made us great and precious promises so that we'd be, we would be partakers of his divine nature. Maybe this is one of them. He was made poor that you might be made rich. Now, those who love to say you can't pluck Scripture out of context would say right now, well, you can't pluck this out of context. However, if you go and you read 2 Corinthians 8, from the top of the chapter all the way down to here, Paul is commending the Macedonians for being generous. The context is money. It, it just is. He's talking about you've done a great thing in your generosity. Continue in that way. Continue in your generosity. Because after all, he was made poor that you might be made rich so that you can be a blessing. That's what he's saying. That's like an adjunct onto the end of it. He ties it to, yeah, keep doing that because that's godly. That's what he wants. That's what he paid for. That's part of it. He was made poor so that you can do these things. Continue. God loves it when you give cheerfully. God loves it when you give cheerfully. You know, we have the phrasing, God loves a cheerful giver. And it's like, if you give cheerfully, God loves you, is the insinuation. But that's not how I read it. I read it this way. God loves it when you give cheerfully. Are you kidding me? You get it. You get it that you are not limited by that money in your pocket. You know, if you want to develop obedience from the heart toward God... Develop generosity. It teaches your heart to trust Him. Amen. Not with the expectation that He owes you because you've given. He's already given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. Your tithing and your offering doesn't cause Him to desire to bless you. Your stinginess doesn't cause Him to not want to bless you. He has already given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So be generous so that your heart learns to allow Him to birth this generosity through you. He wants you blessed so that you can be a blessing. That's the promise all the way back to Abraham for God's people on this planet to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. You can't do that if you're broke. You can be real nice to them. And, you know, we could up our nice level of Christianity... What did he pay for? Let's keep going. Y'all ready? So keep going. Just a few more. You've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. See, to me, these are all saying the same kinds of things. What God gave you in part of this inheritance is sonship. You became a child. 
right? Uh, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God. What does that inheritance package look like? You inherited God. And fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we also may be glorified with Him. There we go. What does that mean? Well, let's just quickly explore it. How can you suffer with Christ? Can you climb up on that cross with Him and suffer what He suffered? No, you can't pay for that sin. Can you go down into Hades and suffer what He suffered down there? No, you, you aren't qualified to pay that. Can you suffer persecution for proclaiming the kingdom? Certainly, you can suffer that. Can you suffer uh, the loss of your life for proclaiming the kingdom, for proclaiming the gospel, for proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Messiah? Yeah, you might. You might. There might be parts of the world where you lose your life. You are imprisoned for the bulk of your life, and you don't really get to experience a whole lot of that inheritance that's available in the Lord in this earth because you are being persecuted for following the Lord. Yeah, you might suffer those things. Now, did God ever give Jesus a flat tire to make him suffer? Did God give Jesus' loved ones cancer so that he would suffer? Did God give Jesus cancer in, before the cross so that he would suffer unto holiness? Are you with me? Like... Yes, of course, if indeed you suffer with him. Now, that phrase actually has more to do with you remain in faith toward him. But let's just talk about the suffering aspect for just a minute. The only kind of suffering God endorses is that which you might be persecuted for your faith. Because that's what people will say. Well, you're saying that God just doesn't want you to ever to be sick. Yes, that's what I'm saying. God doesn't want you ever to be sick. Well, then why are all these people sick? There's sin and death in the world. It's the fruit of what we've done to it, not God. Well, you're saying that we should just always have more than enough, that we should, not, that we should have a bunch of money. We should be rich. Yes, I am saying you should be rich because Jesus became poor so that you might be made rich. I dare say we have the audacity to expect what Jesus died to give us. Now, I pray that you handle it with character and integrity and maturity, right? right? Not selfishly consuming it upon your own lusts or claiming that you are more spiritual or have more faith because that person doesn't have it. That, that, that's, that's nonsense. But that's what's heard by some people. But the issue is, what did Jesus die to give you? What is the inheritance? I know it's a lot here, and, and let's just keep going. Then it continues, what shall we say then to these things? I mean, you know, if you really pay attention to what he's saying here, you get what he's trying to say. So what then shall we say to this? So how should we think about it? If God be for us, who can be against that? Like, that's the conclusion. It's like, man, man, who's, who can be against me? You know, like the, like the attack is, well, you're saying that, you can just be healthy and wealthy and happy and peaceful. 
And, and that would lead you to say, man, if God's for me, who can be against me? Do, do you see that? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And the church loves to argue over the definition of all things. I say we allow what Jesus paid for to define all things. And I, I know it opens a bunch of questions, but it says what it says. Galatians 3.16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. So what I want to do here is show you that it's Jesus that secures the inheritance for you, not you. Not your faith trying to get stuff from him. So now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to... It, it's like, this. Can, just accept the quality of life that God wants you to have. But you're in the world... And, the, and you might experience, and you will experience tribulation. I mean, he says that. You will experience, in this world, you will have trouble. But James tells us, but it's not from him. Don't say that these temptations and these trials are from him. All right. Uh, <clears throat> he does not say, and to his seeds. Now, then you get accused of saying that the church replaced Israel. It's like, no, the church didn't replace Israel. It's just that the covenant expanded those who could receive the inheritance, the blessing of Abraham. Uh, in the seeds And to the seeds, as one who in referring to many, but rather as in referring to one, and to your seed that is Christ. What I'm saying is this, the law which came... See... You know he's a preacher when he's like, he says something, he's like, wait, that sounded jumbled. Here's what I'm, this is what I'm really saying. I appreciate those kinds of little things. What, what I'm saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. I, this is so interesting here. He's saying, we're so used to thinking that it comes through the, the law, righteousness is by the law, but he's saying that actually didn't invalidate what God really wants to do through Abraham for his people, and that is it's a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Um, let's keep going. I'm going to go backtrack a little bit. Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. So if you're a co-heir, you're a joint heir, if you, so God promised to Jesus. That's kind of the point of this bridge here. God promised to Jesus this inheritance. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom, we appoint, whom he appointed heir of 50% healing. <laughs> whom he appointed heir of just doesn't work for me. You see what I'm saying? Heir of all things. You're a co-heir, all things. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, 
having become so much better than the angels to the extent that he has inherited a more excellent name or authority or power or position. Uh, somebody tried to tell me that praying in the name of Jesus is praying if it be thy will or in like your will be done. It's like, so you're telling me that God gave Jesus a will above all wills? No, it's power, it's authority, it's position, it's who he is, he, which means he is the preeminent one. Amen. For to which the angels did he say, you are my son, today have I fathered you, and again I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. That's part of the promise that God made through Abraham to the seed of which you are a joint heir. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Like he knew what God had promised to him. And then there's this, last scripture, Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with him and raised us with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are a joint heir, a co-heir, a co... You, you share the authority of Christ. He says that. He gives us the keys to the kingdom. He gives us everything. Now, you're not God. You're not going to become a God. You're not like... We're not Mormons and we get planets based on how many wives we have. And you call out their secret name that you give them and they come find you in the nether regions and you get to populate a planet... And if you don't live up to Godhood, then no planet for you. I, I really am not meaning that to be a joke. That's what they believe. Uh, but this inheritance that we have is in Him. Now, we, on this Wednesday night, we talked about this reward that we, these rewards that we receive from Him. When we, this final judgment, when we go before Him, there, there is a reward system. I don't know what that is. I want to obey and follow him as closely as possible so that I receive the greatest aspect of what that might be. But I also acknowledge he did it for me. So whatever we might receive, it, all glory and honor go to him anyway. Right. You know? So let me, this is kind of the, a final thought. You are sealed into the new covenant by the blood of Christ God will be kind to you throughout all ages. You can allow Him to reign through you now, and you can participate in the increase of His kingdom, which is the spreading of righteousness, peace, and joy. You experiencing the sweetest fruit of His kingdom because of this inheritance that He's given you is not things. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, you can be blessed so that you can be a blessing to others and ease burdens and remove distractions from this world to help others experience this freedom and peace so they're not so burdened even though they're gonna, we're going to have trouble in this world. The final question is, what does it say and how do you read it? You know, what did he pay for? 
What did he inherit? Do you realize you inherited the same thing? I knew that would happen. This is what I felt like the Holy Spirit said to do. Just put the brakes on. Because now you take this and you go meditate on this. You take this and you go work out your own faith with reverence and respect toward him. You go answer the question, what does it say and how do I read it? If you don't believe there's physical healing and physical prosperity available in the finished work of Jesus, that's fine. I want to experience everything. I don't want to limit anything. I, I want to continually have my mind renewed to see it how he sees it, to only desire that which he desires for me and through me. Like I want to obey him from the heart, but I also don't want to limit anything that Jesus paid for. I don't want to limit what God might want to do through you. If, the, if every believer on the planet allowed God to do through them everything he wanted to do, there would be no global hunger. There would be no destitute, abstract poverty. There wouldn't be any of that stuff. But the church is so broke and fighting amongst ourselves over the definition of all. And may we overcome that. May we grow up. May we, may we yield to the Holy Spirit to the degree that He teaches us what He wants to do through us. Amen? Amen. Part of the good news is not just you're saved. Your faith in Him is your righteousness or he, what He did for you is your righteousness. It's not just you're forgiven and delivered. It's also you have this inheritance in Him. That's part of the finished work. Now go and figure out what does that inheritance look like? How am I, I going to manage it? When you receive something you didn't work for, you don't feel qualified for it. So you have to go through a mindset shift of, even though I didn't work for this and I didn't qualify for this, this was a gift they desired for me. I want to rise to the occasion and live well and, and manage this well. Amen. That's the posture to proceed forward from. Not because we're afraid of him or because we feel like we got to keep him happy, but because he saw something in me that I don't see in me. But I want to elevate my own perspective of myself and see what he saw to live well within this gift that he gave me in Christ. Amen? Let's stand up, put our attention on him. Thank you, Lord. This, it's a big idea. It is a big idea. It is the biggest, this inheritance that we have in you. We thank you so much for the freedom that we have in you. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that there is an eternal reward waiting for us. We thank you that you have gone ahead and you're preparing a place for us so that where you are, we may be also. We thank you that we get to see our loved ones again. We thank you that in this earth, we are not trying to be accepted by you, by the works of the law, but by faith in you. We thank you that you don't give up on us. You give us your spirit and your grace to compel us to live well within this righteousness that you've given us. And we also thank you for this inheritance that you've given us in Christ. That's your meditation this week. That is, that is where I want you to go this week. Think about this. I have received an inheritance. Holy Spirit, teach me 
how to live well within that. One more time. I have received an inheritance. Holy Spirit, I open my heart to you to live well and manage this inheritance you've given me in Christ. I want to bring honor and glory to your name with every aspect of my life. I don't want to limit you in any way. I want Jesus to have full pleasure in our enjoyment of the inheritance that He gave us and the full fruit that He desired. Like, He, he had an expectation of the potential that this inheritance could produce in our lives. I pray that we are yielded to You, Father, to allow the potential that You saw of that inheritance in our lives to bear fruit without limitation. And I am willing to make any change or adaptation or repentance or whatever it is. I am willing to do whatever I need to do in me to get it out of the way so that you are unlimited through me. We love you and we trust you. We speak life over every person in this place. Father, I thank you for your wisdom. You are leading us and guiding us into all truth. Some of us have decisions to make in the, this week, this year. Father, I thank you for clarity, for instruction. I thank you for new life coming into families. Father, I thank you for miracles in people's lives. I thank you for the flourishing of your kingdom overriding the darkness. Even though the darkness is out there, may your kingdom shine so brightly that people realize, oh, there's something different about those Christians. I want what they have. Look how good they are to each other. Look how kind and merciful they are to the world. May we be known. May your church be known through those. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.